From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Amen. My, uh, my son, Eli, began uh, grade one this year, and grade one is a big step from junior kindergarten SK, where it's all play-based learning. It's a big step to go into to grade one. And Elijah, as much as he's a very bright kid, if you've met him and seen him run around and interact with him a little bit, he's not a, he's not a big fan of school. Uh, I've learned that from, like, the moment he started going to school. It was like, I just want to stay home. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, it starts. And he's, he's a kid, right? He's, he's, he's a little kid. He's a tiny kid. He's not even a kid yet. He's just a baby. And so he started grade one. I anticipated him having not the best time. He's newer to the school still. He's getting used to the school, and he doesn't like school in particular. So I anticipated me picking him up from school and him telling me that he doesn't want to go back or something of this nature. So I go pick him up from his first day of school, and I say, hey, buddy, how is school today? Great. Oh, okay, wow. And usually he's like, good, fine, you know, the typical response is great. Wow. Well, what was so great about it? Well, me and my buddies, we were trying to figure out how to escape. <laughs> oh, escape. I'm like, shoot, he's already trying to figure out how to skip school. And so I went, I'm like, what do you mean you're, you're trying to figure out how you're trying to escape? And he's like, well, we were trying to figure out how we could sneak back into kindergarten because grade one is, is all learning. There's no play. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, he's six, and he's trying to figure out how he doesn't need to be in school anymore. But then we had this conversation about, about learning and about how each grade is progressively harder and a little bit more difficult, but that's important for us to learn and to grow and to develop an understanding that shapes us and, and to prepares us for our future. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about this series we're in. In a similar way, it's important for us as a church, it's important for us as people to, to have a foundation to know what we believe. In, in order to know what we believe so that that belief system, because it will, it will shape us, it will shape our lives, it will shape how we relate to God. It's, it's important to know if what we believe about the Bible is what the Bible teaches. It's important to know what we believe about God and about the Bible itself and about Jesus and about the Holy Spirit and about the church and humanity and, and end times and, and these foundational doctrines because they will shape us. They will shape how we relate to one another as we interact. They will shape how we serve in ministry and how we, how we serve in the church. They'll mostly impact how we relate to God. So what do we believe about these things? And, and what do we believe is what we believe, what the Bible teaches about these things. And so that's what this series is all about, Back to School, is learning what the Bible teaches as, as, orthodox, as an Orthodox Christian in, lo, in a local church, what the Bible teaches about the Bible and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and so on. And so we're back to school. Just like my son was back to school, we're back to school, and I hope this morning you don't try to escape. <laughs> Unless you have something to do that's very important, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't even want you to do that. But John chapter 16, if you have a Bible with you, it's going to be on the screen. I want you to turn there. I'm just going to pray, and then we'll get right into it. Father, we just thank you that we have this opportunity to open your word, and I pray that as we open it, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, that you would reveal something new to us, that you would shape us, and help us to shape our understanding, the foundations of these doctrines that we've been looking at in this series, God, in such a way that we have some stability and understanding in who you are and what you want from us, Lord. 
I pray that we would be church, God, we would be the body of Christ who doesn't just come and dwell in a, in a chair, but we actually take our place in this world, Father God, learning what it means to, to serve you, to worship you, God, to follow you. In Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, speak. As I share, I pray that you would speak, and I know that I can talk about one thing and you can talk about another, so we open our hearts to what you want to say, Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, speak this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter 16, just a quick, some, some quick background for the text as we get into it. Um, Jesus is kind of at the climax of his three-year ministry on earth. So Jesus came to earth as a, as a little baby boy, believe it or not. He grew in wisdom and stature. And then when he began his ministry, he, he, he ministered for about three years. And so he's at the climax of that time. And he's sitting down for the Passover meal with, with his 12 disciples. The Passover meal was a, was a festival meal that the people would celebrate annually to remember what God had done in delivering God's people out of Egypt, out of slavery many years ago. And so Jesus, as he's sitting down with the, these disciples, kind of at the climax of his ministry, just before he's, he's arrested. So just hours from now, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be tried, and he's going to be crucified. So just before he's doing this, he's kind of, he's talking about different things, and he's sharing different things, and he's talking about remaining in him so they don't fall away, and that the world is going to hate them because of him. And, and he comes to this, this section we're going to look at in John chapter 16, starting at verse 1. It says, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Now, let me just pause there. If you, if you remember, Paul the Apostle, Saul, at one time, was doing this. He thought he was doing a service to God by actually killing Christians. Verse 3. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I've said these things. Basically saying, you're not interested in what I'm about to do. You're more concerned about what's going to happen to you. Verse 7, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of the world now stands condemned. I have much to say to you, much more, much, sorry, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Now, I don't know if you caught it, but Jesus said something incredibly intriguing here. It is good that I go. And I love this. This is one of my, if I had a, had a list of favorite texts in the scriptures, this would be one of them. It's good it's for your good that I go. What is so good about Jesus in person leaving? Like, what would be so good about Jesus? Like, Jesus came and he changed everything, right? He taught in such a way that, that people who felt like outcasts in society were welcomed and part of the family of God. Right? He, he taught in a way that, that shared that nobody's had something to live for. 
He performed miracles and, and he healed people. He even raised a guy from the dead. What is so good about Jesus leaving? What is so good about Jesus leaving? He doesn't say, it's good that I go because I'm going to the cross. And on the cross, I'm going to pay for your sins. And, and he does do that. And that is good. He doesn't say, I'm, I, it's good that I go because I'm going to go make a way for you to, to live in eternity with the Father and with me. Which he did, and that is good. But he doesn't say those things. He says, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. Unless I go, and it's good that I go because the advocate will come to you. The advocate is a, in a Greek word means intercessor, consoler, and comforter. It's good that I go because the intercessor is going to come. It's good that I go because if I go and when I go and unless I go, the consoler will not come to you. It's good that I go because if I go, I'm going to send the comforter. A couple chapters earlier, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. So he's the first one, and he's going to send another one, and this one will be with them forever. Who's he talking about? Who could possibly be? Imagine you're the disciples, and you're in this room, and you're having this conversation with Jesus. This is how I often read the, the stories in the scripture. I try to picture myself in that, in that room. I try to picture myself as the person hearing from Jesus. I'm a disciple. I'm having the Passover meal. Jesus sharing all of the stuff that's probably overwhelming. And then he's saying, I'm going, and I'm going to go, and unless I go, someone better is going to come. An advocate that will be with you forever. Who is on par with Jesus to such a degree and will be with them forever that it's good that Jesus goes? It's good that I go. Does anybody know the answer? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He's talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. And I want to answer the question today, who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? And in doing so, I hope that I show you what that means for us today. Now, I'm just laying track here because you cannot share everything and all things about who and what the Holy Spirit does in one message and, and feel fine. So I'm laying track. I'm laying foundational stuff here for us this morning. The Holy Spirit is probably the least understood member of the Trinity. Even denominations are at odds with the role that the Holy Spirit plays. Common misconceptions are that the Holy Spirit is just a force or the power of God. And that sounds like something out of Star Wars, right? May the force be with you. So some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's fine. Not Star Wars fans, I guess. That he's a force or he's just the power of God or that he's a second-class God. He's not in the same category as God the Father or Jesus. He's like Batman's Robin. Robin's cool and all, but he's no Batman, right? The Spirit of God's cool and all, but he's no God the Father. He's no Jesus. That's sometimes the, the perspective that we have, but the Holy Spirit is so much more than that. And we talked about a few weeks ago, um, if you were a part of the, the service, we talked about the Trinity, that God is one person, one God and three persons, one being and three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and each of those persons are each distinct in their, in their person and role, but are each fully God. God the Father is distinct, but fully God. God the Son is distinct, but fully God. And God the Holy Spirit is distinct and fully God. So when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about God, fully God. Not half God, not sort of God, not, not second class God. Fully God. Fully God. Now this is important. I think if you catch nothing else but this today, you can just write this down and you can go home and I think you'll be okay. Especially if you, you have a misunderstanding of who the Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit is the active person 
of the triune God, is the active person of God active in our lives and in our world today. The Holy Spirit is the active person of God in our lives and in our world today. When you think about that, Jesus is not here. The Bible says that the word became flesh, Jesus took on flesh, the word took on flesh, made his dwelling among us, and then he went away. Jesus is physically in heaven. We're talking about physical. He's not here. The Holy Spirit is the person and presence of God today. So when we say things like, God showed up, man, God just showed up today in church. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. We're saying, well, I just, I feel like God is in me. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. We're not talking about the physical Jesus getting inside of you. When we talk about God led me, God just, I felt, felt led by God. You know, we say these things in church. It's the Holy Spirit. That's who we're talking about. When we say, I felt, or I heard, or God said, which we need to be careful, it's the Holy Spirit. He is the active person of God in our lives today, yet he is the least considered. He's the least considered. Francis Chan, I don't know if you know who Francis Chan is, a pastor, an author, speaker, wrote a book and called it The Forgotten God, because the Holy Spirit is forgotten. It's put on the sidelines. Well, God the Father's in the game, Jesus is in the game, the Holy Spirit, well, he can get the water. But he is the active person. Since the moment Jesus ascended into heaven and God poured out the Spirit on all flesh in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has been the active one of the Trinity in our lives today. Jesus said, unless I go, the advocate, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. It is for your good. Oh, it's for your good that the Holy Spirit comes. So who is the Holy Spirit? I want to read you part of that text again. And uh, just hear this, right? Jesus said this. He says, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong and about sin and righteousness and judgment. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. See, the Holy Spirit is not a force. It's not an impersonal force, an energy or substance or a power. It's not an it. It's not an it. He is a person. He is a person. Not in the sense that the flesh and bones, right? And, and if you've ever seen the movie Shack, that's where people get, or book, read the book The Shack, that's where people get caught up on all that. Because the Holy Spirit does not take on flesh and bones. He is spirit. But he has personal characteristics and attributes. He can, he can do personal and relational things such as speak, speak and think and feel and act. Now, the, the Old Testament authors and the Jewish um, uh, understanding of the Spirit of God was more in the sense of a personal presence and power. The word the, the Old Testament authors use for spirit is ruach, which many of you have probably heard before. It literally means wind or breath, but underlying all of that is this idea of energy, right? Wind is this invisible energy that causes the clouds to move and the trees to sway, right? And, and when you take a breath, the vitality that you get from taking a breath, that, that energy, that invisible energy sustains your life. Well, this is the word they used to describe the spirit in the Old Testament. Just like wind and air are invisible, God's spirit is in, invisible. You can't see him but you can feel and be impacted by his effects. You can't, just like wind is powerful, so God's spirit is powerful. Just like breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains life. In the New Testament, the word used for spirit is pneuma, 
And you'll often or may hear in theological circles the study of pneumatology, which means the study of the Holy Spirit. It's the same idea again. It means wind or breath or spirit. But although the spirit is invisible, although he is powerful and sustains life, he is not an impersonal force. Not talking about Star Wars here. Jesus, the image of the invisible God, God incarnate, God in the flesh, spoke of the Holy Spirit using pronouns as if to describe a person. Unless I go, I will not send you the advocate. And when he comes, when he comes. And then throughout the New Testament, you see personal characteristics of the Spirit. He has feelings, right? An impersonal force doesn't have feelings, He has feelings. He can become sad and angry. He can be insulted, resisted, and lied to. Here's a couple examples. Stephen, before the the Pharisees, he says, You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You can't grieve an impersonal force with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Isaiah 63, yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit, so he turned and became their enemy, and he fought against them. Hebrews 10, verse 29, how much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as unholy, as an unholy thing the blood of, of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? You can't insult an impersonal force. Acts chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. The Holy Spirit also intercedes. He has gifts. Nehemiah verse 9 says, you gave your good spirit to instruct them. Acts chapter 13, verse 2, while they were still worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Paul, Saul. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself, himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Romans chapter 15. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, capital S, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, all these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes to each one as he determines. Talking about gifts. He is a person. He is a person. Not in the sense of flesh and blood, not human being, divine being, spirit being, but he is a person. He has personal characteristics and attributes. He has feelings. He has intentions. You know, God is a relational being. You, we, we can have, a, and we desire to have a relationship with God. And our mission as a church is for people to come to know God, right? Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. To know God in a relational way. And when you have a relationship with the Trinity, with the triune God, when you have a relationship with God, you are in relationship with the Holy Spirit. If you are in relationship with God, you may not know this, but you're in relationship with the Holy Spirit. You're not in relationship with an impersonal force. Right? He is person. His person. I thought, man, why does it matter? Does it really impact our lives? Why does it matter if, the, if we know the Holy Spirit is a person or not? Well, I thought, do you know what? If somebody thought of me in such a way that they thought I was less than I am, I'd, I'd be pretty, I'd be insulted. I'd be saddened. I'd be grieved, especially if they did not realize how much I could aid or help them. 
Like, if my boys thought I was less than I am, that would hurt me because I'm their father, and as their father, I'm there for them, right? In the same way, I think if we think less of who the Spirit is, then, then we begin to relate to him that way. We begin to relate to him as this impersonal force, as this, as this person or as this, as this force that, that can maybe empower us but that we can't be in, existing in relationship with. Like maybe we're not receiving the comfort we need from God because we're relating to him as that force and not as a person. Right? Maybe we're not receiving the instruction that we need because we're relating to God as a force, not as a person. Knowing the Spirit is a person active in our lives today changes the game of life. Thinking about like playing a board game or playing cards, like the game is impacted by the cards you've been dealt. Or your, your ability to play the game is impacted by the cards you've been dealt. And if you've been de- dealt a bad hand, your game's probably not going to be very good. And sometimes in life, we can feel like we've been dealt a bad hand. I've been dealt a bad hand, but I know a spirit... The Holy Spirit changes the game. Because yes, I've been dealt a bad hand, but what exists in and through me is God, a person who's there to guide me, who's there to comfort me, who's there to advocate for me, who can empower me, who is with me. He's not some distant God. He is active and with me in the person of the Holy Spirit. He changes the game. That's why it's important. Because when I go through what I go through, I not, now I go through it not just because God is far up, but I go through it with God right here, His Holy Spirit. It's not saying, God, I need your force, I need your power. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, comfort me. Holy Spirit, guide me. Now when I face what I face, it's a little bit easier. Maybe it's hard, but it's a little bit easier because I don't just have a person with me. I have God and the person of the Holy Spirit. So that begs the question, if he's God and he's a person, begs the question, what does he do? And the obvious answer is that his role is revealed in this person. Right? He's the advocate, comforter, consoler, and intercessor. But there's so much more for that than that, and I have four for us this morning. Number one is that he creates. The Holy Spirit first shows up in the page one of the Bible, which you know that's got to be important. Page one of the Bible, first chapter of the Bible, first book of the Bible. Bible, the author describes the, the, the earth as this chaotic darkness that's formless and empty. And you see the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. That word hovering has the idea as a bird hovering over at their nest, brooding, taking care of the new lives. See, the Spirit of God was uh, instrumental in orchestrating creation along with the Father and the Word and Jesus. Job chapter 33 says, the Spirit of God has made me we read in other places that, it, that creation is, is attributed to God the Father and a creation is attributed to Jesus in Colossians. But the Spirit of God has made me. He was active there. In the same way, when you give your life to Jesus, the Spirit creates new life in you. It's the Spirit of God that's creating new life in you. And he doesn't just hover around your life like this ghost, but he takes residence in your life, comes into your life, and works at renewing your heart. This is what Jesus was referring to when he said to the Pharisee, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. That's what it means to be born again, that the spirit of God takes residence in your life and he changes you. He creates you new. It's a supernatural act of God. Ezekiel chapter 36, God said this, prophesied through the prophet Ezekiel. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. 
Paul said, it's not works that saves us, but the regeneration and renewal work of the Holy Spirit in Titus chapter 3. It's the Spirit of God, and this enables us to live for Jesus. It's not our nature. It's not our own nature. It's not behavior modification. I'm just getting better now because I'm in a nice community called Parkway. No, it's, that, that doesn't work. It won't last. But when you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes residence in your life, comes into your life, makes things new. He brings order out of chaos, brings dead things to life, creates us new. Which made me think, where in life do you need some new creation? If you, if you were to be honest with yourself and examine yourself and look at yourself, where do you need a dose of the Spirit's creation at work? Think about that. Because if the God who, who created, the Holy Spirit who created, was active in creation, creates new life in me, could he not continue to create new life in me? Well, we'll talk a little bit about that. But think about the areas in your life where you see death. The Spirit of God existing in you can bring the dead to life, can renew, can work, can heal, because he creates all things new. Second, number two, is that he lives in you. Follows fairly easily to that point. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, Jesus said this, and he will give you another advocate to help you. And you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. This is Jesus saying that, right? Romans chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 11, a couple of verses later says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give, give life to your mortal bodies because of a spirit who lives in you. It's not a little man living in you that we're talking about, right? This is the spirit of God hanging his hat on the coat rack of your life. The Bible says that, that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit the advocate dwelling in our in, inner being. When we tell little kids that, that God can come and live in your heart, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Right? When he lives in you, we're not talking about Jesus. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. And when you give your life to Jesus, when you accept him as Lord and Savior, and you truly believe that, that's where he comes, that becomes his home. Right? In you. It's not in this building. You know, kind of, I get it. I get that we call this the house of God. But these walls are not the house of God. Right? We're like, oh, we shouldn't say that because this is the house of God. You probably shouldn't say it anywhere because the house of God is you. If we're going to be talking about the Bible. If we're talking about what the Bible says. The Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I better stop eating that candy. <laughs> Chipping at the walls of the temple. He's, he's in us. He's in us there to comfort, console, lead, and guide. Jesus, after his baptism, the Holy Spirit came upon him. The Bible says that immediately he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. The Spirit doesn't just comfort, doesn't just console us, doesn't just guide us, but he leads us. Paul often was led by the Holy Spirit into mission, and often the Holy Spirit prohibited, it was the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit prohibited him from going to certain places to minister. 
which I always thought was interesting because Paul was never, just as a side note, this one's just for free. Paul was never like, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to send me? You never see that in Paul. He's just like, I'm going. I got the gospel, and there's people that need to know the gospel. I'm just going to go. He just tries to go everywhere. He just preaches everywhere. And the Spirit of God stopped him from going to certain places. It wasn't like, oh, should I pray about going here or not? Maybe I'll, I'll pray about it, God. I'll pray about going there. No, he just went. Now, there's a few times where the Spirit's like, now I need you to go here. But Spirit led him. Spirit led Paul. He's an internal compass. God, Emmanuel, not just with us in Jesus, but living in us. Living in us. Now, here's why I believe this needs to become a little bit more cliche than a cliche statement. Because I think sometimes it becomes a Sunday school answer and then we don't actually receive it as we're living through life. The God of the universe. And I don't know if you ever picture the universe. Not just our solar system. Universe. Like, he, he, he plays marbles with the universe, right? Like, that's, that's how big God is. When you think about the, the, the tiny little atoms in your, in your, if I take the atoms in your hand, all, the amount of atoms in your hand, I turn those into pieces of paper, I can go back and forth to the sun eight times. The God who, who thought of that, right, who, who thought of the vastness of the, everything that is life, the creator of all things, the one who is able to die on a cross and actually make a way for you to spend eternity with him and not burn in hell. Ouch. He lives in you. Whoa, 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 whoa. Are you catching that? The God who created everything you see and everything you experience. When you, when you look up at the stars and you see a beautiful sunrise, my son the other day was like, oh, Daddy, I want to go to the beach. I'm like, why? It's cold. He's like, because I want to see the sunset. I'm like, you're six. Why do you care about the sunset? He's like, it's beautiful. The God who created that lives in you. So why is this more than a cliche? Because when you live life and, you, ex- and you, ex- you experience pain and you get a bad diagnosis and things don't go your way and life isn't all peaches and lollipops for you, you can recognize that, oh, this, this is hard, and this is difficult, but the God that created all of this is in me. That changes the game. It needs to be more than a cliche. It needs to be. And listen, sometimes we are so driven by our feelings that sometimes we don't feel that way because we're led by our feelings. We need to push our feelings aside. We need to kick them to the curb and say, no, 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 I don't feel this. I feel my situation. I feel the hurt. I feel the pain of my physical body. I feel the pain of the diagnosis. I feel the pain of the bank account. I feel the pain of the job loss. I feel the pain. But the God of the universe is in me. The God of all things is in me. The spirit of God that hovered over creation is in me. That enabled men, which we'll look at, and empowered men to do incredible things is in me. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. Come on. So sometimes we need to look at our stuff and we need to say, get out of the way because you don't know who's existing in me. Sometimes you need to tell that to yourself. Go in the bathroom or the mirror, wherever your mirror is, get your phone out, flip the camera around and tell that to yourself. Wait a second, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in me. The game is different now. It's not just a cliche, church. It's not just a nice slogan we can post to Instagram or Facebook or put on our bumper sticker on our car. It's truth. If we believe what the Bible teaches, if we believe that the Bible is true, if we believe that, then that's what we believe. If you don't believe that, you don't believe the Bible. Oh, man. He lives in you. I've heard this 
thousands of times. But don't tell Jesus how big your problem is, right? Tell your problem how big the Holy Spirit is. Tell your feelings. Tell your pain. Do you know why? Why did Jesus rebuke the disciples when they were in the boat and the storm was coming for having little faith? If you remember the story, Jesus and the disciples are hanging out in the boat. Jesus falls asleep. He takes a nap. That's what I love about Jesus. Even Jesus napped, right? Naps are biblical. Jesus did it. Yeah, amen to that. We're going to have a nap today, except for me, because i got little kids that want to play Lego. Jesus is taking a nap. The disciples are doing boat stuff, and a storm comes. Yeah, doing boat stuff. And a storm comes. And these fishermen who have, who, like, their livelihood has been on this sea start to freak out, and they think they're going to lose their lives. They think they're going to drown. And they wake up, Jesus, 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 don't you care if we drown? Oh, it isn't okay. Yeah, yeah, sure, I, I really care. Let me do something about it. No, he rebukes them. You have a little faith. Why does he rebuke them? Why? Because they failed to recognize who was in the boat. They failed to recognize who was in the boat. Now, I get it. A storm was there, and they thought they were going to drown and die. I get that. Human nature. But in that moment, they believed that the storm was greater than Jesus who was in the boat with them. And sometimes we, we believe that about life. We forget that the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead that hovered over the creation before, before the world existed dwells in us. He's in your boat. He's in your boat. He's in your boat. And he's not taking a nap either. Jesus was human. He needed naps. The spirit of God, I don't even think he sleeps. He's just going. He's just going. Even when you don't go, he goes. Number three, he empowers. Throughout the Old Testament, you see most often the Spirit of God empowering people to accomplish God's purpose. It was the Spirit of God that enabled Joseph and Daniel to interpret dreams. God's Spirit empowered Moses to lead. The Spirit of God empowered an artist named Bezalel to be an incredible skilled craftsman working with wood and stone for the temple. I love that. The Spirit of God empowered someone to be an artist. The Spirit enabled judges to lead. It gave Samson supernatural strength. Did you know there's a story in the story of Samson? Samson didn't live for God, right? He kind of just did his own thing. The anointing was still on his life. The power of God was still on his life. The Spirit of God was still on him. But he kind of just did his own thing. He didn't, he didn't follow the commands that God had told him to, to follow. And, and when Delilah, if you know the story, finally cuts his hair, reveals the secret of his strength, he cuts, cuts his hair, and he goes on to take on his enemies, it says that he didn't recognize that the Lord had left him. Sometimes we, can, we think we're walking with God, but if our walk with God looks not, nothing like walking with God, then we're just walking. But it gave him supernatural strength. The Spirit of God came upon David when he was anointed as king to lead. It enabled groups of people called prophets to speak and see things from God's point of view. All throughout the Old Testament, you see the Spirit of God working at enabling people and empowering people for God's purpose. But this, in the Old Testament, the Spirit only came upon selecting people, on certain people. But the Old Testament pointed to a day that when the Spirit of God would, would, would be poured out on everybody that would believe. It prophesied in Joel chapter 2. It says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And we read about this happening in the New Testament. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says, and you will receive power when my Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. 
And then Acts chapter 2, we see this happening where the Spirit of God is poured out on the body of believers, and they are enabled, they are empowered. Peter, who just denied Jesus, is standing before 3,000 people, and they get saved because he speaks boldly in the empowerment of the Spirit. And then they, they spread out, and the gospel spreads as God has empowered them to be a witness. See, God enables us um, to live for him by, living, by the Spirit of God living in us, but then he empowers us. We call this baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a subsequent experience from conversion where God's Spirit enables you for ministry and purpose. So you can live, I believe, you can live for God, and the Spirit of God can live in you, but you can live a life without the power of God. I don't want to just live for you, God. I want to be empowered by you, because call is not very strong. Call cannot do what he does without God. And when I do, it's not very effective. He empowers. Finally, number four, I invite the worship team to come. He sanctifies. See, the Holy Spirit is one who works in us to make us more like Christ until Jesus returns or we die and go off into eternity. He's working in us. Sanctify means to set something apart for its intended use by a designer. A pen is sanctified to write, to be used to write. This microphone is sanctified to be a microphone when used. Eyeglasses are sanctified when used to improve sight. Theologically, we are sanctified. We are made holy when we work in partnership with the Spirit working in us. Philippians chapter 2 says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act according to his purpose. Romans chapter 15, 16, Paul said this. He said, God gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. See, it's the Spirit of God living in us, working in us, that makes us an acceptable offering to God. We are saved, but we're also being saved. We're in the process of being saved. He's shaping us, and he's molding us, and he's making us more like Christ. That's why, that's why the longer you're a follower of Jesus, the more things that didn't bother you or you weren't convicted about, they begin to bother you or you're more convicted about. Like early on in my faith, I didn't care what kind of movies I watched. Oh, I cared a little bit. But now, it's different. Some, some, of the, some of the conversations and the things that maybe people talk about didn't bother me once upon a time, but maybe they bother me a little bit more now because the longer I'm with Christ, the longer I'm developing that faith, the more he makes me into his likeness. You, you track with that? He, which means you are not done until he comes back or you die. I don't want anybody to die today. <laughs> You are a work in progress. And it's the Spirit of God who sanctifies you, works in you, as long as you are working out your salvation. It's a partnership. It's a partnership. The Holy Spirit works in us, along with us, to make us holy. So the significance of the Spirit's role in our lives is innumerable. It's immeasurable. But those are four things for you this morning that gives you a foundation. Because we have more... The Spirit has more than we can share today. Let me say this. If we can change our perspective and begin to view the Holy Spirit as He truly is, the third person of the Trinity, fully God, person, not force, active in our lives today, it changes the culture of our lives. 
Because if he is active in our lives, living in us every single day, then every single day can look differently. And I can approach every single day differently because the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, lives in me, is with me. Change is a game, church. He's not an impersonal force that we need to figure out how to wield, right? It's not a magic potion. It's not just power. I need, to, I need God's power to come on me. It's a person living with me. I am never alone. I am never alone. Even when I think I'm alone, I'm never alone. Because there is a person, the Holy Spirit, living in me. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.